Well, didn't they do a great job in a pinch? Fabulous, huh? You know, um, after making the announcement about the Sharrows, I, I would just really encourage, and I'm not saying that you don't do this, but I just feel the need to say it. Pray for our staff, will you? I think there are eight of us all together, and we just need your prayer a lot. Um, for protection, I, I, I mean, that's so obvious now. We have an enemy that seeks to resist what we do, and, uh, um, but for enablement and empowerment and encouragement in ministry and effectiveness in ministry, these people who are, are here to, uh, to give leadership to all of us as, as we engage the task that God has called us to. And, uh, and pray for our church. Huh? I pray for, I don't know about you, but I pray for our church all the time. You know, my, my heartfelt prayer, kind of the core is God reveal your glory here powerfully reveal your glory in this place so that um, the world can see, so that we can see it, but it's so that it shines beyond us and the world can see the power and the beauty and the reality of God. And uh, I invite you to join me in that and, uh, and continue to work and, and, and move forward. And I know we are, and we'll see God revealing himself more and more as time goes by. I feel like humming. Mm, it'll get better. I want to start um, uh, a series today on this Mother's Day on marriage. Um, something that's really central to our lives. I mean, if, if, if you're married and your life is good, isn't life good? I mean, you can deal with whatever's going on out there. If you can come home and you are loved and, and there's joy in your relationship uh, with your spouse, and there's a, a sense of goodness and encouragement there. And, but if your marriage isn't so great, if it's on the rocks, as we say, if there's a struggle, if there's heartache, whoa, that, that's tough. Um, and, and you know what? It, it's the kind of thing that can be incredibly dis discouraging to us. It can be painful experience, a difficult thing. So we're going to dig into Scripture. We're going to learn, if, if you would, God's perspective on things, and I hope it'll really help us, all of us, no matter where we are in our marriage relationships. And let's face, this, face it, all of us go through these phases, right? Might be really good right now, and a year might be bad, might be bad right now, and a year be great. But the question becomes, what is it that God has for us? What is it, what is it that, that lo the Lord wants to speak into our lives, um, uh, and, and, and how it is that we can move forward? based on his word, what his thoughts about marriage are. I guess I want to start by, 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 with the recognition or by the recognition that this world of ours, there's, from a biblical perspective, which of course we believe reflects the mind of God and the thoughts of God about marriage, there's utter confusion about marriage in this world of ours. ton of it. And I suppose about relationships in general. Tons of people are now living together and choosing not to get married. Um saying that they don't, you know, it's, it's, marriage is just a piece of paper and I don't need it. Well, I'm not so sure that's true. Uh, from a biblical perspective, there's a whole lot more involved in marriage than signing a piece of paper and getting registered with the government. Um, there are tons of people who also feel the need to live together before getting married, and sometimes it's out of convenience. It's sometimes economically advantageous to, to live, live together together. Uh, uh, rather than marriage, and, 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 and sometimes people choose that. Sometimes people think, you know, I need to really get to know this person uh, before I make the big commitment into marriage. So we're going to live together first, and then we'll, then we'll see what happens. The assumption being, of course, that number one, um, 
knowing the person that well is required for a really effective marriage. Again, I'd say biblically not so. Marriage is based on something else. Good biblical marriages. Um, and then the idea, too, that, uh, that, that uh, the only way to get to really know somebody is to live with them. Well, I, I, I'd question that one as well. Um, but that's the way a lot of people are thinking about it today. There's gay marriage, which our government has instituted and, and many people have embraced. There is marriage breakdown. Um, I just read recently that 42% of marriages are failing now, uh, ending in divorce, uh, over a 50% divorce rate. But more than four out of ten marriages which actually form, are, are people are coming to a place where they're saying, you know what, this just isn't working and I'm not taking hold of what I have dreamt marriage would be and what I long for. And there is this intuitive longing in, in us and so many people to, to be married and, and it turns out negative and not positive and some folks are choosing to end their marriage as a result. Um, there is, and I know this isn't common, but now even a television show about polygamy uh, it's the kind of thing when I'm clicking that I just click through because it kind of saddens my heart. But, uh, you know, fundamentalist Mormons and a fellow on there with three or four wives or something like that. And I suppose that might be becoming popularized too as a result. I don't know. But I'd like to suggest that God has a different and unique view of marriage in this world of ours. It's very different now. And it's unique and it comes from his mind and it dwells in his heart for us. And I want us to think about what it is and what it looks like. And our challenge as a result is, number one, to come to know what that is, because it's not necessarily always known anymore because of the power of the culture. And number two, to trust God enough to live it. You know, we're given this book, the Bible, and, and what it does is give us this opportunity to grapple with the mind of God. And I want to tell you, as the Bible itself says, his mind is beyond our mind. We don't always understand the things he understands. We don't see things the way he sees things. But we're given the opportunity to take hold of the perspective of God. And as God has inspired a book, so God, by his Holy Spirit, comes and he takes the words of this book and he brings life to them and he applies them to our lives and we see the, the, the desire of God for our lives, the blessing of God that he's willing to speak into our lives. And in that time and in that place, something happens in us and we are enlightened to the will of God and if we have faith enough to choose it, we are blessed people. I want you blessed. I want me blessed, right? I want us to find this reality. So today we're going to start with some basic teaching, and we're going to get to the Mother's Day application in a little while. But we're going to go to both Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 to, to, to compare two possibilities for us as human beings. This is big picture stuff. In Genesis chapter 2, what we find is God's design for marriage. It's a picture of what marriage can be. It happened before sin entered into the world and before sin entered into human hearts and into human minds, causing us not to think like God, causing us to desire things that are contrary to God's desire. It's, if you would, an ideal of what God wanted for us as God formed marriage. When the story starts, as many of you will know, not necessarily all of you, but with creation, God creating Adam, but God seeing that Adam was alone and lonely, and out of love, God acted. We're going to read Genesis 2 the latter part of verse 20 all the way to 25. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. 
The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, God created Eve very intentionally, and he brought her to Adam. And then he created marriage, this more traditional terminology now than what we have read, but there's leave and cleave and union sequence. We're going to look at that in future weeks. And that is the definition of marriage. It's a foundational teaching of marriage in the Bible. But today I want to focus on Adam's response to her as well as a little bit of her response to Adam. He said, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, I will call her woman for she was taken from man. Actually, in, in, in the Hebrew, in the original writing of this, and even in Hebrew still today, what, what that little phrasing is, it's actually poetry. And it's speaking as poetry does both to deep, profound truth and to beauty. Um, and essentially what Adam is saying is like, this, this is an incredible thing that God has brought to me. It's this wow moment when Adam realized here is someone that I have longed for and have lived without. Someone like me, human, unlike the animals. He had the animals before, but someone like me, but different. And the differences that he saw were very good. It's a scene of love and of attraction and of beauty and of celebration and of joy. It's a scene of intimacy physically and spiritually and emotionally. You know, here is this man delighting in what God has done for him. And he celebrates with absolute joy the gift given. And that, my friends, is marriage God's way. You know, imagine if you had been there. Imagine if that had been you, guys. What God was doing for you in that moment. And imagine Eve and her receiving the response of this man to her presence. But then comes Genesis chapter 3. Sin has happened. Adam and Eve have disbelieved God's message to them, his communication, his instruction, and they have disobeyed. And things changed incredibly quickly. Um, we've dealt with this story in recent weeks and months, so we're not going to go into a lot of detail in it, but in the end, they're hiding from God, and God comes along and says, where are you? What happened? What's going on? And Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. This picture of intimacy and joyful unity deteriorates quickly into blaming and into shaming and into hiding from one another and from God. Remember the fig leaves? You see... The calamity that just took place. And then there's more. I'm afraid the story doesn't get better, at least not right away. Because then God pronounces the curse on both the serpent and Eve and then Adam. Let me just speak quickly to the curse. Because what we believe is that this curse is not proscriptive. In other words, it's not God saying, because you did this, I'm going to do this to you. Rather, the, the, the curse is descriptive. It's God describing the impact and the influence of sin in their lives and what it's going to mean for their marriage. Okay? 
So first of all, the serpent is cursed, and we're not going to spend time there today. But then in 316, chapter 316, comes the curse of Eve, and it says this. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Think of the power of those words. What I want to suggest to you is what is given in the curse is the corollary to what is given in Genesis chapter 2. It's the opposite of what they had known. So first of all, this, this comment about childbirth being severe and painful, this thing which God had enabled Eve to do to carry and participate, carry a child and participate in the creation of God, that which was filled with life and with joy and with goodness and with love is now going to be filled with pain. It's a disaster that has taken place. And then secondly, this phrase, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This little phrase, your desire will be for your husband, it's ambiguous. It's, it's a challenging text for scholars to truly understand and interpret, but there are a couple of strong possibilities that rise out of it. The first is this, that Eve's desire for intimate connection with Adam is going to be frustrated like never before. She's going to, she, she wants to be close to him. She wants connection. She wants this intimacy that she has experienced in Genesis 2. But instead of that, he is going to rule over you. Instead of life and of joy and, and, and unity, he is going to dominate and control you. Now I want to tell you, for millennia, that has been the reality. Hopefully lasting in our day, but it still goes on, doesn't it? Men controlling and dominating women for their own benefit and purposes. There's a second interpretation that fits in this as well, and the desire is, that is spoken of here for your husband is this urge for independence from him and this urge to dominate and control him as he seeks to dominate and control her. Sound at all familiar? The NLT actually puts it this way, your desire will be to control your husband and he will rule over you. They've chosen one of the interpretations and written it into the text. Um, and you see, you see the dynamic that is going on here, this tragedy that, is, that has befallen this couple, intimate, unified, uh, celebratory relationship which produces children with joy is now, uh, this dynamic for Eve is a struggle. It is hard. It's not the easy thing that it once was. The joy isn't naturally there like it used to be. And then the curse for Adam himself, verses 17 to 19, it says this, And to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. I will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Powerful words from God. Can you imagine what Adam was thinking in that moment? You see, again, once this provision of God, this producing of food that was required was an easy thing in Genesis 2. It says that God planted the trees. And by the way, it says that the trees were beautiful to look at. You get the goodness of this? And out of these trees that God planted, fruit was produced. It was just kind of given to him and to her. It was, it, it was an easy thing then, but all of a sudden now things have turned around and taken a tragic turn. Now work, 
is going to be frustrating and difficult and challenging and hard. Anybody live that? <laughs> you know, the meaning that it once had, the joy that it once brought, not so much anymore. And by the way, now man, human men, are going to have to f turn their hearts and their attention to this incredible challenge. And if the focus is here, where, it's, where is it not so much anymore on his beautiful wife? This is like disaster in the making. This is like the last thing that God would have wanted, but this is now the reality. See, here's, here's where we're going. Sin still dwells in us, my friends. It's powerful and it's real. It's there. And too often Genesis 3 is descriptive of our relationships as opposed to Genesis 2. Too often marriage is hard, and it's a struggle. Life is hard, and it is difficult. We're going to jump into this and try to move forward with this. We're going to try to find a way back to Genesis 2, if you would. But we're offered two scenarios. Um, one where we actually live out the sin reality, and one which is God's alternative, Genesis chapter 2. Which do you live? Where do you live on the... On the line between the two. You know, this, this, this uh, option, these options that are provided to us in these two chapters that are reflected in the scripture. I'm going to read some text from, from Proverbs for you. And as I do, to, do so, I want you to remember men wrote this. And if women had wrote it, I just wonder what might be in the book, okay? But, you know, first the Genesis 2 scenario. You look at Proverbs 18, verse 22. It says this. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. You know, guys, when we get a, a woman from God to love us and to be faithful to us, boy, what a blessing it is. What a treasure she is. Here's the Genesis 3 scenario, Proverbs 19, 13. A foolish child is a calamity to a father. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping. And again... I'm afraid of what the women might write if they had the opportunity back then. Genesis chapter 2 says this, Proverbs 31, 10 and 11. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more, note the word, precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. How true is that for us, so many of us here today? Here's, Gen here, here, here's Genesis chapter 3, Proverbs 21, 9. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. <laughs> you get it? Marriage can be fantastic or it can be a disaster. Marriage can bring joy and goodness and blessing and intimacy and hope. Or it can be awful. And we get to choose. Here's a verse in Proverbs that uh, combines both. Proverbs 12 verse 4. A worthy wife is a crown for her husband, but a disgraceful woman is like cancer in his bones. How do we live? What's the reality? See, the message of this series is this, <clears throat> and I want you to listen to this, and I want you to know this, especially if you're in one of those difficult and hard and painful moments in marriage. Because of Christ and his redemptive power at work in our lives, we can live the Genesis 2 reality. 
Some of you may sit here and hear me say it and say, oh, no, no, not my marriage, too far gone. I've tried, we've tried, no hope. That's absolute nonsense if you believe in the presence and the power of Christ in your lives and in your marriage. He is the one, my friends, I'm telling you, who can and who will make the difference. And that's what I want to chase after in this series. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, you know, today, Chris, this is Mother's Day. Why are you talking about Genesis chapter 3 at all? Why are you talking about the curse? Why are you tra- talking about, you know, a dripping, dripping water and a quarrelsome wife and so forth? Why are you talking about blaming and shaming and hiding and pain and, 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 and so on? Here's why. I went, uh, you know, in preparing, uh, I didn't go anywhere, in preparing for this uh, talk this morning, this sermon, I, I sat back and I think, what do, what do women want? It's Mother's Day. Lots of mums are going to be there and other, you know, grandmothers, aunts. And what do they want? And I thought and I thought. And you know what I came up with? Absolutely nothing. Because I didn't know. (laughs) I'm a man. The women are laughing right now. You get that, right, guys? The other guys are going, oh, man, would you shut up? So I did what every godly and spiritually minded pastor does. I went to the newspaper. Actually, it came to me. And and it told me what women want, what moms want on this day. Um, It said, for example, what women want, what moms want on Mother's Day is a beautiful pastry made by a fine pastry chef. And here are the recipes. that's, That's not bad. I get that. I can see on Mother's Day how mom would love a beautiful pastry made by a fine Chef, fine pastry chef. Another, uh, another uh, article said, you know what moms want? They want to be left alone. And I kind of got that too, because moms are so often giving and caring for kids and caring for hubby and, you know, just give me space and time just to, to care for myself and enjoy, right? Resonate with that, women? Yeah? Yeah? I get that. Here's one I saw on the television late last night. I, afternoon as I was watching some golf, which I'm known to do occasionally. TV commercial, and, 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 and at the end of it, there's a mom and a teenage daughter, and they're smiling, and their heads are together. They're hugging. It says, you know what moms want? She wants you. I get that. Just your love and your presence and your care. I was being informed. But most importantly, my friends, I want to tell you, uh, what mom wants is in Genesis chapter 2. Because there, there's a far better answer to the question. It's the word of God to us this morning. For husbands this morning and for, for kids of moms, I don't care how old you are, kids, listen. It is, it is this. It is to have the Eve experience, I would suggest to you. Can you imagine what Eve felt like? I've never thought this until preparing for this sermon. What did she feel like? What did she experience as she was created and then brought to, eat, to Adam and to hear his response to her and to her presence? You know, in that moment, she was celebrated with joy. Adam celebrated Eve in her being, in her person. She was deeply appreciated for what she was and what she brought into that relationship with him. She was cherished as unique and a beautiful gift of God. She was delighted in. 
as Adam delighted in this new spouse that he was then married to. She was seen as someone of great value and worth. It's like he had lived without her for so long, and he had lacked, and God had seen it. And he created her for him, and he brought her to him. And it was like this wow moment. She was seen as a huge blessing. I'm using words, a word that was, was written into some of these texts, precious before him. I want to say to husbands today, and I want to say to children again of whatever age, that's who your wife is, biblically speaking. That's who your mom is. Precious gift. Someone to be delighted in. Someone of great worth and value. Someone to be deeply cherished and loved. That's the Genesis 2 reality. And I say today, husbands and children, go do it. Unfortunately, sin does interfere with this, right? Words are spoken, hurts are experienced, time passes, people are taken for granted, selfishness harms relationships. It's easy to be in an after-sin experience of marriage where Adam was critical and condemning, where he wanted to hide from Eve and Eve wanted to hide from him. And they wanted to hide from God and not know his presence and power. It's easy to control and dominate no matter which side of the equation you're on. This is humanity, I'm afraid. So how do we get back to chapter 2? How do we live the reality of what God wants for us? Well, that theme is going to emerge in the weeks to come. I'm just toying with you now. You better come back. But I want to tell you this, we cannot get back to Genesis 2 without the powerful presence of Christ in our lives, husbands and wives, moms and children. We cannot get back to Genesis 2 without his significant influence, mitigating and overcoming the power of sin. But I want to tell you he can and he will if we let him. We can't do this without him because sin is too real and sin is too powerful for us to handle on our own and overcome. We can't do it. So dads and kids, and yes, moms and wives, the secret to getting back to Genesis chapter 2 is by living in relationship with Jesus, letting him be real and present and yes, powerful in our lives so that we can have our eyes open to see the reality of this spouse that we have been given so that our hearts can be humbled so that we might serve, so that we might be made loving rather than selfish, so that we might be made gracious even when wrongs happen, so that we can be kind, ultimately so that we can be deeply thankful for the gift God has given us. Um, I want to suggest today everybody who's going to honor mom that you take this as a day to practice the reality of Genesis chapter 2 in the power and in the presence and in the love of God through Christ, not just for a day, but for the beginning of the rest of our lives. 
And that's all very real and all very profound and all very spiritual, and it is a spiritual solution to the problem. God at work in us. But what does the text say about what we can actually do? Well, number one, we can learn from Adam and what he did. You know what he did? He spoke. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Wow. Can I suggest to those of us who are husbands and children that we put into words today what our mums mean to us, those special women in our lives? It is so, so common for people to love one another but never say it. For some people, it's like this mountain that they can't climb. It's this scary scenario that keeps them from speaking the words that will bring life and joy and, yes, intimacy into a relationship. Guys, children, can we go home today and actually put into words what that special gift of God means to us? Tell her. Say it. Number two, unlike Genesis Chapter 3, and again, we need Christ in this so often, but can we step away from critical comments and condemnation and move toward praise? That's one of the hardest things to do. And that's one of those things where we desperately need Jesus alive in us to enable us to do. I don't, know who, who, I don't care who you're married to, and this goes to the women and to the men. They're not perfect, and they never will be until they and we stand before Jesus. And if you want to spend your life with that special person, seeing the negatives and complaining about them, very human, but incredibly destructive. And one of the things which, which Christ can teach us is to just bite our tongues when the opportunity is presented and to praise with words again those people who, who we deeply love when we can. Wouldn't it be an incredible thing if what characterized the relationships of the people of Jesus was praise one for another? Thanks for what you bring into my life. You're beautiful today, honey. You know? You know what I really appreciate about you is now, I'm not talking about rocket science here. This is doable. Every one of us, husbands, children, and yes, wives, women, we can go home and do this today. And we can let the love of God which is in us flow through our words and our actions into the lives of another very precious human being, both to God and to us. Let's transition from condemnation and critical comment to praise. Unlike Genesis chapter 3, the curse which came and with it brought sin, can we give again our focus, guys, our time, our attention, our priority to our Eve? Guys, do not let work deceive you or fool you into thinking that it's more important than your precious gift. That one, that one hits kind of low, doesn't it? We live this reality. 
we are, we are struggling to provide, and I know women provide too, but I'm talking to guys right now, and we somehow think this is the purpose of my life, and this is what I must give myself to, and this is what I pour my life to, and this is where my heart is directed. And I want to tell you work is a blessing, even in Genesis chapter 2, but there's something incredibly wrong with it when we do that to such a degree that we neglect our wives over there. Don't let it happen. She is too precious and she is to be cherished before your work, before much else in life. Number four, I'm picking the good stuff out of the bad stuff, but never dominate and control for your own personal benefit. Sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's physical strength. You know, sometimes it's the cold shoulder. Everybody has their own way. It's not the way of Jesus. We exist in this relationship, and we're going to get to this, to love and to serve the precious gift God has given to us. Let's do that. And in the end, can I say this? Like Adam, can we be incredibly thankful to God for what he has given to us? Incredibly thankful for the blessing that we get to live with and simply love the one, celebrating her, celebrating this relationship of intimacy, cherishing and delighting in what God has given, delighting in what God has given. I know this isn't easy. I hope you've heard that today. Marriage as defined by Genesis chapter 2, to take hold of it is probably one of the hardest things that we will do in our lives. Because Genesis chapter 3 is easy and natural to us now. But I want to tell you, my friends, with Christ in us, with Christ alive in us, this can become that which characterizes our relationship. We'll never be perfect with it. But we can get good with it so my friends what does a woman want what woman wouldn't want this what mom wouldn't want this I want to tell you I think better than the newspaper and even better than Kim and her display of of drama before is this is what women want to be loved to be cherished be considered a precious gift and to be treated in that light let's do it today in the power of the living christ let's pray god we continually deal with the reality of the fall and with the change that came into our lives as human beings and our minds and our hearts and our desires Um, But God, we desperately need saved from that. We desperately need to know your presence by your spirit in us, Lord Jesus. And we pray, those of us who are here today and who long to pray with this, I invite people to pray this prayer. God, come by your spirit and fill my life that I might be like Christ in my relationship with my spouse, my wife, with my mom, 
God, come and do your work and overcome the power of sin in us that we might take hold of Genesis chapter 2 as we reject the reality of Genesis chapter 3. Lord Jesus, we can only be this if you are at work in us, if, you're, if you are alive in us, if your power is present to us, if your love is made real in us. So Lord Jesus, come into our lives and overcome that power and transform us, we pray. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us?